Blog Talk Radio. Good evening, everyone. This is Marty Oakley, the PPJ Gazette Online, and this is the DS Radio Network. Good evening. The recording you just heard is in memory of Marty Oakley, who is the backbone of these programs. Marty passed on April the 1st and left a void in this program and in our hearts. She was an amazing advocate and warrior who always took a stand for people and gave them a voice. Marty never gave up until she took her last breath. Rest in peace, Marty. We have the watch. I'm Marcia Joyner, and this is Betrayed by Hospice, brought to you in coordination with Marcel Reed and the Whistleblowers Live and Shenanigans in Pennsylvania. Over the past few years, I've learned to eat my words because I always said that can't happen here in the United States. Bad things like killing the elderly, harvesting organs, kidnapping children, forcing vaccines, sex slaves, and on and on the list goes. And I said, that only happens in a third world country. I've learned our country and some of the people are really not any better than that, and these things are happening across the world right under our nose. We are either naive, like I was, or refuse to see the truth, or worse than that, we accept that it's happening and we don't care, or we refuse to take any action to warn others or to attempt to stop it, or are involved in it happening. So I no longer say that can't happen here, because anything can, does, and is happening. This program, Betrayed by Hospice, is expanding topics because there are so many dangers that need to be exposed. You don't know what you don't know. Tonight, we're talking about medical kidnapping of children. And I'll be the first to say I am pro-life from the conception until the natural end of life, and I make no apology for that. I believe God expects us to protect all people and expose those who are not. Children should be protected from anyone who would harm them physically, emotionally, or mentally. But as you will hear tonight... Sometimes what is thought to be abuse is not, and children are taken from their homes and abused by the medical system that takes them. Tonight, our guest speaker is Terry LaPointe, who is an award-winning journalist, formerly with MedicalKidnap.com, a division of Health Impact News, where she investigated and wrote articles on hundreds of cases involving people taken from their families by either Child Protective Services adult protective services, or guardianships. She has written for Politichicks, PPJ Gazette, The Inquisitor, The Liberty Beacon, and Midwifery Today, and is a contributing author to several books. Terry is a regular guest on Blog Talk radio programs, and she speaks to family rights groups. She has been a guest on American Trends with Dr. Gina Loudon and was featured in a documentary on medical kidnapping by Michelle Malkin Investigates. In 2017, she actually received Michelle Malkin's Bulldog Award for her work on medical kidnapping. Now, I like that word bulldog because it means she doesn't give up, and that's what Terry does. She doesn't give up. She works continually as she speaks, writes, and educates lawmakers and the public and advocates for change. Some of her articles are at realnewsspark.com, and she can be followed on Facebook. Later in the program, 
we will be taking calls towards the end. So if you have a, want to ask a question or have a comment to make, then press 1 on your phone at that time. I'll announce it later. So, Terry, I want to thank you for coming on tonight and sharing with us as brutal a subject as it is. People need to be aware that there are dangers out there, and I want you to let us know exactly what's going on and what can we do to protect our children. So thank you for coming on tonight. Kennedy, I really appreciate it. Um, it, it it's true. It, it is something, it's a brutal topic, and I had no idea that this was going on. I, like you, this can't happen in America. I, I thought over and over, and even while I started um, researching and digging into this stuff, I thought, this can't be happening in America. The first story I ever heard that was a medical kidnap kind of case um, was of Justina Pelletier in Boston, um, and that was in 2014, and I thought it was an anomaly. I thought, okay, something really went wonky with the system, but that's not the way it's supposed to happen because Child Protective Services is about protecting children and, from horrible, abusive parents. Marsha, I found out that I could not possibly have been more wrong. Mm-hmm. Even, just, even just the data, the, the numbers are, are stunning. They're staggering. Only about 17% of the children in, in America from their parents by Child Protective Services, no matter what you call it, DHR or DFAX or uh, CPS, it, it's a different alphabet suit in, in various states, but it's Child Protective Services. But only about 17% of the children taken from their families are taken for reasons of any kind of abuse. So That's um, a pretty low maybe, percentage. It, it really is. It really is, and mm-hmm. it's scary. Um, now, there's drug abuse, of course. Now, drug abuse, we think of the, uh, you know, the, those running a meth lab out of their home and subjecting their children to all kinds of horrible things. Um, the, the, those shooting up and in the, you know, in the, in the cocaine dens or whatever. You know, okay, that's legitimate. Those children need to be protected. However, drug abuse can literally be that before mother found out she was pregnant, she was at a party and decided to try marijuana for one time in her life. And it showed up when she found out she was pregnant and got, and had they did drug testing. Um, or she took a Lortab, or let's see, there was a one mother took half of the Lortab before she realized she was pregnant. After she had been uh, working very hard one day and her back was hurting, and she had the Lortab in her medicine cabinet left over from when she had been at the uh, had some dental work. So she popped positive on a test when she found out she was pregnant and the, the drug test showed that she had um, taken a, a, a half of your tab that had not been prescribed at that time. We've had, so, so when you think drug addiction, it could be something as simple as that. And, and they're all lumped in that same category. So you don't know if you're protecting a child from a meth lab with parents that are, that are falling out on the floor and, and all kinds of atrocities going on, or somebody who um, did something that probably a lot of the presidents of that. Um, I'm talking about presidents of countries, you know, smoking and joint. I haven't, but a lot of people have, and 
in the scheme of things, it's not a reason to take away a child from a parent, but it happens. Yeah. Right. So then only 17% of the allegations against parents are even substantiated. Chew on that a while. So they're, they're taken, they can be taken with uh, false allegations. A neighbor gets mad or an ex-girlfriend uh, of the baby daddy or the husband gets mad or jealous or the mother-in-law doesn't like um, the way the daughter-in-law has her house or somebody thinks their house is too messy or they don't like that they're in public school or, or home school or private school or whatever. They disagree with a parenting decision. Somebody calls, makes that call, and, and but once they're in the door, once a social worker is in the door, they get, they tend to go on a fishing expedition looking for anything that they can call neglect. Now, neglect can be something as simple as goldfish crackhead was eating in front of the TV or um, dirty dishes in the sink, laundry in the laundry room floor. And, and, and that sounds crazy, but I've seen these written on reports. So, wow. um, yeah, yeah. So we started looking into these stories. Um, this was in 2014 that I began this work. Again, not with an agenda. I just wanted to know what was happening. I didn't know. And I, and I really thought this one story was an anomaly. Found out it wasn't. The more stories that came in, we were seeing patterns. We were seeing some of the same stories, whether the story was in Missouri or Texas or Florida or Washington or Arizona, wherever. We were hearing very similar stories from, from parents all over the place. And one thing kept coming up, something I'd never heard of before, they talked about a child abuse expert or a child abuse doctor, child abuse pediatrician. The more they came up, the more we started looking into them um, and finding out, okay, so a parent has a child who is crying and they don't know why, and they take their, their baby to a hospital or to the emergency room because they can't figure out what's going on, and they get them there, and then all of a sudden somebody comes in and says, oh, okay, we're going to have to do um, x-rays. And, and then they come back and they say, hey, did you know that your child has multiple healing fractures in various stages of healing, um, which I have figured out now, that's a code word. That, that, that means basically it's not abuse. And, and those are the stories you'll see in the, in the newspaper and the, and the news, and they'll talk about these, these horrible parents that have done horrible things because these children have multiple broken bones. A child has multiple broken bones, you would think that's a horrible parent. Unfortunately, or, well, I don't know, that's probably not the right word to use there. That's oftentimes not what's happening. There are many medical conditions that can look like abuse. It mimics abuse. There's uh, things like osteogenesis imperfecta, infantile rickets, which is more common than you think, because if you think about rickets as a vitamin D deficiency, and we stay inside a lot of times. A lot of people are inside almost all the time. They're not getting the natural sunlight. And when they do go out, they're using sunscreen. So they're not getting enough sunlight. They're not getting enough vitamin D. 
And and so infantile rickets is more common than we have realized by low vitamin D levels in mothers um, that are causing that. There's um, Ehlers-Danlos syndrome. There there's there are um, brittle bone conditions that can look like it is abuse, but it's not. And here's the thing um, that really stood out to me that the parents would sometimes they some of these parents would send me medical reports from other doctors that were experts in these conditions. They would find out because uh, these parents would go on these detective um, journeys to find out what's really going on because if if a doctor is telling them that they've got all these broken bones and they look like they've been abused and they know that that's not what happened, they kind of figure out what's going on. So, so let me let me stop you for one second. So, does that actually mean that the child physically really did have broken bones? I mean, like, like if there is a deficiency there, they actually do have broken bones. They've gone to the doctor because the child does have a broken bone, but maybe they don't know that, or they can't, you know, they can't say, well, he. He fell from a tree, and that's why he has a broken bone. And they just say, "We don't know what happened." He, you know, he just his arm was broken. He was crying because he was in pain. We took him to the doctor, and his arm was broken. And that's when they start to suspect that there, that there is abuse going on. Is that what you're saying? Well, that could be um, the case, but sometimes these are these are baby babies. These are little okay. babies under year old, under six months old sometimes, and. Okay. Um, and, and what happens, and, and I did a deep dive on these um, child abuse pediatricians and what's that. And so it it may look like on the x-rays these lesions or these things that these child abuse pediatricians are calling broken bones, but other doctors who are not child abuse pediatricians are saying, that's, that's not actually even broken. That's not, they're seeing something and they're saying it's a broken bone that's not even that. Um, another, especially the healing rib fractures in various stages of healing, some of those, because um, those are tiny, tiny, tiny little bitty bones on a, especially a, uh, a little bitty baby, um, those can happen in the birth process or in the womb, um, just in, in the, literally as the baby's being born. So it ne- doesn't necessarily mean somebody has been abusive. Um, there are things that can happen in just the natural course of things that weren't never abused. It's just a medical condition um, or or something that happened. And there, the um, shaken baby syndrome is another one that's kind of similar. Um, but what happens is these child abuse pediatricians say that, okay, well, this all it can be, this takes, this is a violent, um, act and it can only be abuse when we've got other doctors who are saying, Mm-mm-mm. whoa, that's not abuse. This is a medical condition. Because what, like, you're seeing these um, multiple broken bones in various stages of healing in babies where there's, there's no bruising, there's no internal organ damage, the lungs aren't damaged, there's no, there's no other signs physically in the child except for that broken bone. Um, so 
Now, obviously, if you see a kid that's been beaten and is bruised, well, actually not even obviously because there are things where they can look bruised and have like bleeding um, um, or they bruise easily. There are medical conditions that cause that too. Sometimes we've had families that once they start looking into it, they realize, oh, um, the dad's mother had um, some kind of a bone condition um, they start tracing in the family history, and there's actually quite a number of these medical conditions that are related to that that they just never considered. Um, that's happened quite a number of times. I've seen that. Then there's, let me talk about shaken baby syndrome, because we all know about shaken baby syndrome, right? You shake a baby and you can kill a baby from shaking them too hard. Right, right. But I, I want you to picture something with me. Think about taking a baby and you're shaking that baby really hard so that you cause what they call the triad of symptoms, brain bleeding, um, retinal hemorrhaging, like bleeding from the retina in the, in the eye, and um, um fracture like like head fractures um hematoma brain bleeding and oh brain swelling not the fractures the 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 swelling and the bleeding and then the retinal hemorrhaging they call that the triad so you're picturing this baby and you're shaking them so hard that you're having those symptoms what has happened to that baby's neck what has happened Logic. to the baby's what, neck? What would, what would happen to the baby's neck if you're shaking them that hard to cause that? What would happen to the baby's neck? Well, would I you might, might break it. it. Yeah, you would expect there to be some kind of an injury on the baby's neck. Would it surprise you to find out that um, in all the stories that I've covered of shaken baby syndrome, um, and in many of the stories, most of the stories that have ever been covered of shaken baby syndrome, there's no neck injury. Now, are these bona fide actual situations where the baby was shaken? I mean, that they've proved that, that the baby was abused? Or are you talking about cases where the baby really was not abused and it had these these triad symptoms. Well, if there's the triad, then they're, they're going to be more than likely diagnosed as shaken baby syndrome. And um, many times Child Protective Services is going to come in and take the kids, and sometimes somebody goes to prison, there have been people executed on death row. But in none of these cases has there been neck injury, which that to me that indicates that there's something else going on. There's a there is there's a large body of um of legal people and medical people who are saying that shaken baby syndrome is actually junk science. And uh we covered a um a doctor out of the UK, Dr. Wayne Squire, a neuropathologist, world renowned. But then because And she went by what she had been taught in medical school. Then she got involved doing um, autopsies on babies and seeing their, their brains and seeing what was going on 
inside, and she realized that what she'd been taught didn't match up with what she was seeing in the babies that they said had shaken baby syndrome. And she later, she said she changed her beliefs based on the science, based on the evidence of what she saw, and now she testifies, or, well, for a while she was testifying on behalf of parents, and then they tried to shut her down. They actually took away her life, her right to practice for a while in the U.K. because she changed um, her position. So these child abuse pediatricians are in the, in the hospitals. They're in almost every children's hospital. You can even look up on the website for the children's hospital, look up child abuse, and you can find the child abuse staff. And their job is um, supposedly to determine whether something is abuse or not. They are not experts in radiology. They're not experts in um, um, in the the different con- medical conditions, the um, neur- um, neurology or yeah, orthopedics or radiology, any of that. Yeah. Right, they're not experts in that. And so are they even doctors? Yes, they are. They started being board certified around 2009-2010 by the American Academy of Pediatrics. And they write, these doctors write most of the policy, and much of it is circular. Much of it is based on their own arguments and and I've gone down sometimes uh, trying to find where did something come from, and they're quoting themselves, and then then they're at, and it's not backed up actually. They're all quoting themselves, and it's all circular, and there's not any anything that it's actually based on, and it's crazy. They're writing the rules. This is why I, one of my main recommendations to parents is don't use a pediatrician, use a family practice doctor. If you can go there, because they're the policies that govern child abuse pediatricians versus the policies of family practice doctors are different. I have never had a case come to me. I'm not saying it's never happened, but I've never had a case come to me where a family practice doctor falsely accused an innocent parent of abuse. I've had tons where pediatricians falsely accused an innocent parent of abuse. It's well, crazy, isn't it? It is. But I think that, you know, that you and I agree that a child, whether it's a baby, uh, you know, a toddler, a, you know, a preteen, whatever, that none of us believe in children being abused. Now, I, you know, I believe what? in spanking a child. I mean, if a child needs a spanking, he needs a spanking. And, you know, I believe in grounding kids and, you know, disciplining but as far as what is actually child abuse, I mean, that's wrong, and those people should be caught, and their children should not be left with them, and, and I agree with that. So how do you determine if we have people that are saying that a, a child was um, damaged and was abused by the parent, and, and it's really not true, how do you determine in reality that a child really was? I mean, I think the, the premise of them looking to see if a child is abused, I think that's a good idea. But obviously, if yes. only 17% yes. is true, truly abused, then their margins are way off. Well, in, in Texas policy, or Texas, um, the state of Texas did a um, study, and they showed that 
where a where it's just regular doctors, they confirmed abuse in 22% of the cases. Where a child abuse pediatrician was involved, they confirmed abuse in 80% of the cases. Got confirmation mm-hmm. bias mm-hmm. going on. And one of the um, one of the things is they're um, they are they are making these allegations, but the the social workers and the courts are taking the word of those doctors. When I've had these medical reports from other doctors, six, eight, as many as a dozen reports from real medical experts that say this is not abuse. This is a medical condition. This is something that's going on here that is not abusive. And the judges at the court are disregarding all of that and taking the words of the child abuse pediatrician. Um, so that's kind of alarming when, when the exonerating evidence is ignored. Um, and uh, I had an attorney point out to me that shaken baby syndrome is, a crime that's never been witnessed. Shocking, right? So, in other words, there have been parents that have been seen shaking a child, but those children don't have that triad of symptoms. In the ones where there is that triad of symptoms, that has never, there's the, the person doing the, sh- the so-called shaking, it hasn't been witnessed. Every kind of crime is witnessed. I mean, rape is witnessed, murders are witnessed, all kinds of things are witnessed. But that's one crime that's never been witnessed. And we, it goes back to some studies in, I want to say the 70s, possibly 60s. Um, and they used monkeys. They used monkeys in crash tests. And they, they said that that's how, what they based their science or something on. So, it's a lot of very shaky scientific ground that is not extrapolatable to humans. Um, of course, child abuse is a crime, and right. we don't want real child abusers to to do that. But usually, they're they're going to have there's some kind of violence, or there's some kind of other evidence. There's some kind of a history. When you're looking mm-hmm. at parents who there's no, I mean, everybody that knows them, um, they, they're shocked, criminals, and the, the mass murder goes off shooting somebody, and then the, the, the news gets everybody, everybody that's shocked at it. But I suspect that most people, most real violent people, other people have seen them with that violent tendency um, or the anger issues or something. There's, there would be some kinds of other evidence. So, well, and, and yeah, and, and as you say, like a child that goes to school that is very timid and, you know, is bruised all the time and, you know, they, they really, they don't have any medical doctor that would say that they have, um, what, like, L, um, what is it, Ehlers-Danos syndrome. You know, they, they don't have any of that type thing. So that I, I'm agreeing with you. There are cases where I think you would know if that was real child abuse, you know, and the child is going to be very timid, and if you got the child away, you know, talking to them, you could probably find out that, yes, they are being abused, but they are terrified of that person. So um, what happens to these children? Now, let's say 
that CPS has taken the child away from its natural parents because they believe child abuse. The problem, and, you know, I was reading a lot of articles that you wrote, is the parent is not able to prove that they're not abusing that child. That child is physically taken mentally, emotionally, and everything, taken away from its family and put into foster care. What happens then? Okay. Well, one, back to the, if they're not able to prove. Sometimes they have there's lots of evidence, but the exonerating evidence is, is ignored by the court. Um, and there are times that the social workers um, want issue there. But foster care um, we like to think that we're helping children and we're rescuing them from a bad situation and we're putting them into these wonderful loving homes. And granted, there are some wonderful foster parents out there who really care and really are trying to help. However, the federal data shows consistently that children in foster care are at least, at least six times more likely to be abused, raped, molested or killed in foster care than in if you left them in their own home, even if that home was a troubled home. Um, the Department of Justice has said that the largest supplier of children for the child sex trafficking in the United industry in the United and the numbers range from uh, in the 70s to 92% of Children who are rescued from child sex trafficking in America um, have been through the foster care system, either currently or um, recently. That's horrible. So, yes, ma'am. Yes, ma'am. Because there is no, there's no oversight on that, and you know, and we've heard this for years, but. But, you know, thinking back on it, you're like, no, again, like you and I were saying, that doesn't happen in America. But you hear where children that are in foster care are basically slave if they're not put into a sexual situation. You know, they are there to, you know, wash the dishes, make up the beds, feed the family, you know, do yard work, and that they're actually using them as child labor. And and so you rip them from a home, let's say you rip them from a good home that the parents love them and it's it's they did not abuse them, but this child abuse specialist has said they did, the courts believe them, they take the child away. The parent in many cases is not even able to see the child. So they live they you put them in this situation away from their family and then they're abused by the system. It's horrible. Carrie, are you there? Carrie? Carrie, I can't hear you. Carrie, if you can call back in. I don't know why I've lost you, but I can't hear you talking at all. So if you can call back in, that would be great. I don't know how we've lost Terry. And I assume that y'all can still hear me. Okay, let me text her. I see you holding up your hand. 
but I've completely lost you. Hey, Marcia, it's Kai. Hi, Kai. Can you hear How me? are you? Hey. But, yeah, I can hear I'm you. Good. Why did I lose I was, Terry? I, was, I don't know. I was listening to the show, so I thought while you were waiting to get Terry on, I would call in. And the topic that you're talking about is something that we were going to be talking about on Friday, just touching base on a little bit on oh. crimes that child, yeah, child Protective Services has has done in Montgomery County. So Wow, yeah. same type so, thing, exactly. And it's happening. Yeah, I mean I'll just give a quick a quick rundown. The girl's name was Grace Packer. And the story is that her family was very poor and there was like a forced adoption and she was adopted by a child protective service employee. And at the age of fourteen, Pat and that's just awful. Grace Packer was murdered and dismembered by a child oh protective service worker and husband. To make it even worse. Hold on one second. Let me what? just see if Terry can hear us. Yep, Terry, can you, you say her? something? Okay. Yes. Can you Here. hear me? Yes. Hey, Terry. Okay. Go hey. ahead. Cause is on I'll, and I'll is telling us story up. Yeah, yeah, go I, ahead. I just thought I'd call in while you while we were trying to get Terry back on. I'll just finish the story quick, and then I will mute back again. Yeah, go ahead. Anyway, what happened is, so when it comes to an estate, only the executor of the estate can sue in the deceased's name. That's why so many of these cases, like especially in guardianship and these child protective services, they make sure that they contest all these all these estates so that they can't be sued. And that's the case in Montgomery County, Pennsylvania. The biological grandparents whose child was taken away because they were so poor, they were trying to become the executors of the estate. But here's what's disgusting. The adoptive grandparent, basically the grandparent who raised the murderer, ended up going for executor as well, and working with one of an attorney that we'll be exposing on Friday and that was recently exposed in the Philadelphia Inquirer. So, I mean, the sun is shining on these terrible, terrible people. Anyway, that attorney represented the adoptive parents to protect the county from lawsuits. And I just think that's disgusting. I just want, but I don't the know child if you heard, Carrie. Yeah. But they still gave the rights to the adoptive family, even though it was the adoptive mom and dad who murdered that child. Oh, my Isn't that, God. I mean, it's disgusting. Yeah. And that's, that's horrible. to protect themselves from lawsuits. So we'll be exposing that story and a whole bunch more on Friday. And I just, when I saw that this was your topic today, I was like, wow, there's, we're, we're on the same Life page line. on these topics. Yeah, exactly. You know, Marty's up there. Um, orchestrating, okay, let's do this topic. And, you know, <laughs> gosh, don't we miss her so much. But I'm going to yes. go ahead and keep listening. And you guys are doing amazing. And thank All you, right, thank you for Kaz. coming on. Thank you, Marcia. Okay. Thank you. I will. Thank I will you for filling the later. void. Thank you for I, filling I, our I void space. <laughs> Absolutely. That's yeah. what I'm here for. All right. Yes, you guys have a you. good rest of the show. Okay. All right. All bye-bye. right. Thank, thank you, Cos. So, I, Terry, I have no clue what happened. 
I don't either, but I will tell you that sometimes the enemy doesn't like this stuff being exposed, and there are generally technical difficulties with almost every show that I'm on. Mm. Yes. I'm used to it. It happens so many times. Um, So she kind of brought up some really good points um, that – the with the the estate and with with the lawsuit. Okay, let me go back and talk about um, like medically complex children, children who just have a lot going on medically with them, and sometimes it there's it takes a lot of detective work to figure out really what's going on or to care for them because they've just got a lot of medical issues going on. Um, then then there are the children where there is. Um, um, medical malpractice, and there is there's possible medical malpractice going on, and the parent, um, this is it's like a script. The parents have see something going on, and they start getting loud in the hospital, and they and they say, "Well, I'm going to sue you guys for medical malpractice." Um, don't. If you're ever, if there's ever a case like that where where you think that you need to sue for medical malpractice, shut up about it. Just a word right. to the wise for parents. Don't say a word about it because they have your child, and I can tell you what's going to happen because I've heard it so many times. It's like a script. What will happen in just about every case I've ever seen is once a parent threatens to sue for medical malpractice. Within 24 hours, there's a system activated. Within 24 hours, a child abuse pediatrician will have been called. They will call Child Child Protective Services, and the parent will be accused of Munchausen syndrome by Fox, and I'll get back to that. And then the parent will be escorted off of the uh, hospital premises and forbidden to see their child, and that child will not go to relatives. They will go to strangers. Exactly. um, And then, yeah. The, it, and that Munchausen syndrome by proxy is is technically it's when a parent is causing medical problems and for attention. They're 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 poisoning the child a little bit, or they're doing this, and they're they're trying to get all this medical stuff for this child for attention. And it does exist. I mean, and sometimes abusing, feeding them bad stuff, or putting bad stuff in their bodies, or whatever. Um, and it does exist. It's a it's a mental disorder, mental sickness um, that's crazy. It's it's a form of crazy. But most Munchausen syndrome by by proxy allegations or accusations um, are simply a parent fighting for a medically compact child, or um, they've threatened a lawsuit. And what happens then? is that child doesn't get the help that they actually need because once they've been labeled with Munchausen syndrome by proxy, then they just dismiss everything that they see on the records and the medical and the labs and what this kid is suffering and what they about or going through, and they stop looking for answers because, of course, it was Munchausen syndrome by proxy and the parents making this all up. And they're very powerful parents, don't you know, because they can convince the doctors to do unnecessary brain surgery or whatever it may be and do all these unnecessary procedures. But it's it's crazy. Um, So who suffers but the child? The child is the main victim there. They're the ones suffering. Exactly. Because, yeah, because what 
the parent has lost custody. Once they're in the in in the state custody and they're a foster child, parents can't really sue. They can't sue the hospital. It's a prevention. It, it's uh, asset protection for the hospital. That's all it is. It's covering their behind because if they if you don't have custody, your child can't sue the hospital. Crazy, right? Okay, so it the is. child abuse pediatrician. Um, thing about them, and we did not know this for a long time with um, when, when we were investigating this. I, I think I first learned about it in 2018 um, and started, studying, started investigating in 2014. Finally started seeing where some of this fund, funding for these doctors is coming in. They're not funded through um, insurance. They're not funded through Medicaid or uh, um, anything like that. They're not funded like or self-pay or whatever. They're not paid like that. They're funded. Please don't tell me it's through. commission. Oh, well, it's through Health and Human Services and some of the nonprofits, Health and Human Services. So they are being paid like your police officers are going to be paid by the state or the, the um, municipality, these are paid. They are acting as part of the prosecutorial team. They are building a case. They, they are planning to testify in court. They're building a case. But if you are in a situation where you're robbing a store or something and they catch you, or you're, they think you're robbing a store and they catch you, um, what's the first thing they do? They read you their, your Miranda rights, right? You right. know, if you're arrested, that anything you say can and be, will be held against you, right? Not so with the child abuse pediatrician. So when you're taking a child to the hospital, you've got a child you don't know what's wrong. It may be a vaccine injury, and that's a lot, that, that is a common one. There, there's something going on, and you don't know what's wrong with your child. You're trying to find answers. You're trying to get help for your child. And you've got a doctor coming in here, well, asking you all these questions, and they're saying, well, did you shake your baby? And, and you, you said, well, you know, they wouldn't wake up. And, I'm, you know, and you, you shook them, you know, like a half an inch of distance. You know, it was like, wake up, wake up. And then they're, they're, now they've, they've got you. They've, they've got you on record, their record, saying that you admitted to shaking your baby. You didn't right. shake your baby, but you're, oh, I fell. I was carrying him in the kitchen, and I tripped, and I fell over the dog, and, you know, and I thought, could, could that have been, you know, and they turn, the parent is scrambling. They're trying to figure out what's going on, and they're, you know, too much information, trying to, as they're trying to figure out what could it be, what could it be, could it be this, could it be that, could it be this, and those things are being heard by these child abuse pediatricians who are acting as prosecutor, and they're being turned into, they've confessed to something as they're just trying to figure out what's going on because they think that the parents don't know that this is a, trying to build a case against them. They think that this is a doctor trying to help them figure out what's going on, what happened to the right. child. That, and that makes so sense, very, sure. Right. Right. And so at that point, you're the, terrified. Yes. Yes, they are. And and sometimes they haven't had much sleep. Um, maybe they've been at the hospital for hours and hours and hours. They haven't eaten. Their blood sugar's low, and they're 
and they're sleep deprived, and then they didn't get much sleep before because I mean they've just got a new baby and and or a little baby, and they're not sleeping well or whatever. And mm-hmm. so they're in a room, not really necessarily sometimes not being given something to eat or drink, and we would call this almost sure in another situation. This is uh, it's crazy. Well, one of the um, things that I wanted to mention is I have a friend who um, her daughter and son-in-law had been doing drugs, and like you were saying, when they test somebody before the baby goes home, they test to see if you know if you have done drugs. And she had. I mean, she'd been shooting up. So the baby mm-hmm. was not allowed to go home with the parents. And AP, CPS came in and said, you know, you're, it's not allowed to go home. So my friend and her husband decided that they would take this infant, which is their grandchild, they would take this infant home. Well, the baby was addicted because it had been getting giving drugs, and this is definitely a case of drug abuse. And the baby had mm-hmm. been receiving drugs the entire time the mom was pregnant with the child, so she had to be weaned off of it. So they did this. My friend did this during this period of time and took really good care of her. Well, the baby would have screaming, blood-curdling screams during this process. Mm. And as she grew up and got older, she has fits of rage sometimes, and she screams, and she gets very upset about things very quickly and, you know, goes into Mm -hmm. this, you know, hyper mode. But you know, she's functioning, she goes to school, you know, she's a sweet, sweet, sweet little girl. But the problem is, had they decided at that time, had these child abuse specialists come in and decided that they were not going to let this baby go home with its parents and they were not going to let the grandparents adopt it, they would have taken this little child and they would have and this is what I'd been reading in some of your articles, that they would actually experiment, oh, well, if we give her this drug, how does, how does she react to this? And if you're with a foster parent and you start having a screaming fit, do you really think that they're going to use love? And, you know, some of them may, but the majority are not going to be loving and gentle with that child, and they're going to give them you know, I don't know, Adderall or, or Seroquel or, you know, I don't know what they would give a child that's having a fit, temper tantrum. But they wouldn't have done it with love. They wouldn't have taken good care of this child. So people need to understand if you're in that situation, and, and there are a lot of young kids today that are doing drugs and are having babies, that child's life could be completely destroyed forever because somebody else is going to use them to experiment and to try this drug, and to try this. And that is the life that this little girl would have had if her grandparents had not stepped up and taken her. So okay, I want to address children, the things there. I'm sorry? Okay, go ahead. Oh, I'm just um, saying children many times are used, they experiment, medical experimentation on some of these children that are taken away from their parents who did not abuse them, or who did, but regardless, uh, these a lot of these children, like you were saying, that they're put into um, sex slavery, they're also medically experimented on because they don't think anybody yeah. cares about them, and they're in charge of them. Yeah. Okay. Yes. 
so we we learned that children who are in foster care um, are legally, if they're a ward of the state, they are legally allowed to be used for medical research, drug testing, without their parents' knowledge or consent. So um, if a child has a rare medical condition and they take, the parent takes them to that hot, to the hospital where the doctor is looking for a subject for his medical research study, then they can um, start making allegations and get that child away from the parent so they can put them into that study. We've seen that happen. Um, I remember one of the first stories that I did, um, they think that this young man was being used as the um as the um control for uh he had neurofibromatosis which is a pretty rare condition and um then there was another study uh story um where a child had a rare leukemia childhood leukemia that is more often presents in adults uh, than children and the mother was asked if she would put him in this medical research study, and she said no. And then they ended up taking the child away from her. Um, so medical experimentation on foster kids is very real. Um, there right. was a uh, representative, Michelle Bachman, um, a few years ago. Um, I think she's Minnesota or Michigan, somewhere up there, um, in Congress to say that they couldn't use foster children they couldn't use federal money to use foster children for experimentation, but um, that bill went nowhere. And it's one that needs to happen. We need to get a bill like that um, passed. Um, these are emotionally broken children. So right. they're, when you talk about those, the, the psychotropic drugs, um, they, they can sit there and put these, on, these kids on all these drugs, two, three, four years old, and they're putting them on psychotropic drugs. They're traumatized. They've been traumatized because they've been taken away from their home. They've been taken away from their families. Um, exactly. One of the, yeah, one of the things you talked about was the grandparents stepping up. But um, and there's, I've I can't tell you how many stories I've covered where grandparents, aunts, and uncles, family members wanted to step in and take care of the child, but um, they would say in the reports to the court. Uh, no suitable family members were found. Even some of these par- these grandparents or relatives had been foster parents for the same state or adopted children in that same state, but they were not suitable for their own family members. Now, this seems all very puzzling until you look at the financial um, motivation for this. In 1997, um, Hillary Clinton's baby, uh, this was a piece of legislation that was her focus. She she was behind it. Um, it's the Adoption and Safe Families Act of 1980, uh, 1997 called ASPA, and it passed at both houses of Congress, bipartisan support. It was presented as a way to protect and provide forever homes for these poor, abused children. Well, as we've already seen, many of these children were not abused, Many of these children didn't belong in the system in the first place. And then many of the children who even that do belong, that needed some help, had relatives, had family members wanting to step in. However, what ASPA did was it gives billions of dollars to states for adopting children out to strangers. Now, these are bonus 
this bonus money that is given to states, they don't get this fund, screening fund if they don't take the children. They have to take the children. They don't get it if they are um, reunited with family. They don't get it if they're placed with family. They must be placed in foster, removed from their home, placed in foster care with strangers, and adopted out to strangers for the state to get that money. Wow. It's Talk a very about perverse incentive. Yes, yes, ma'am. Exactly. It sure is. Yes. You talked about the drug test, um, the, and and I know there are cases like what you talked about. I know there are. But there are other cases where these labs have been found to be falsifying the drug test. They're working with Child Protective Services and working with the court system, and they're falsifying the drug test. We've seen it in um, several um, I know there's one in Alabama, one in the Northeast, one in one of the Carolinas, um, one in Canada. Those are just ones I can think of off of the top of my head that I know that have been busted and um, and caught falsifying drug tests, saying that parents were on drugs when they weren't. Um, so one of the things that people have recommended is uh, if you have to take a drug test for the states or for for the go back go to a Self-pay doctor immediately go to a self-pay doctor and get another drug test from a another lab from from somebody that that you trust, and uh, so you'll have your own lab work. Um, and is this all be because to... because they? I mean, it's all a monetary thing that they're taking these children, or a experimentation, or is it just you know? a group of those type things. I mean, that they would do, I just, I'm appalled that anybody would try to work the system to harm a child for medical reasons or for sex slave or to make money off of them by putting them in a foster home for this um, ASPA. It just Mm -hmm. is beyond my comprehension that people are this evil. Uh, I I just can't fathom it can't comprehend that. Mm-hmm. Normal people can't comprehend it, but it's rampant. Um, we did a story on a man who was running for the legislature in the state of Virginia um, under the Libertarian Party. So he, he, we found documents where he was saying to children and adopt children and use them for their sex, for sex toys. And you get to choose whether you want a girl or a boy. We wrote that. And he was advising people of how to get children, how to procure children for um, pedophilia. And he was running for office. He didn't get it. Was, was that recently? That was when I was still with medical kidnap. So I want to say it was probably 2018. Okay. Yeah, I want you to um, offline send me that. Okay. Okay, disgusting. Um, but the, I mean, they are involved with it. Um, we, there was a, a case, uh, the LA Times or some, some major media in Los Angeles ran a story several years back where they had a list of licensed approved foster parents by the state of California and a list of registered pedophiles, reg, registered sex offenders, registered pedophiles. 
there was a thousand names that was on both that were on both lists. Wow. So they are both a registered sex offender, um, registered pedophile, and a licensed. So where is where is CPS oversight on this? Well, it's interesting. I went to a meeting um, in our in my state capital on on this very subject. They had a, a child protective services task force, and the legislators and the uh, the bureaucracy were there. And I was the only non, the only person that wasn't part of their system that was in that hearing. And I ended up writing an article about it because, and I stood up and challenged them on it and said, you, you talk about having accountability, but it is only an illusion of accountability. It is the foxes guarding the hen house. There is no real accountability. And, and that, is the, that is the absolute truth. There's no real accountability. In Arizona, they have a person who's a, um, her role is to mediate between the legislators and parents who are fighting about child protective services. So they're not even allowed, that she, she kind of blocks them from being able to contact their legislators about what's going on. She, she has her position, they tell them, these, these parents, they have to, that the legislators aren't allowed to talk to these parents about it. They have to go through her. So there's no real accountability. And what I found, and I know you've covered many, many, many stories of probate court and, and the guardianship abuse and, and these, um, these kangaroo courts that, uh, where the Constitution is out the window and truth and justice and righteousness is out the window. Um, probate court and family court are very, very, very similar. If that tells you anything. Corrupt. Yes. 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 Yep. It's just, you know, you think about the poor children that become the commodity, you know. And that's what they are. Yes. They're the commodity. Yeah, exactly. Well, I was reading another um, article. I think it was maybe one you pointed me to or maybe one that I went down a rabbit hole on. It's possible mm-hmm. that um, one of the things is if parents were not vaccinating their children and there was, I think, one child that was actually taken out of school because the parent refused to vaccinate them, but that they were taking children away from their parents if they did not give them the vaccines. And, you know, and I'm talking, I'm not just talking about, you know, the COVID thing. I'm talking about, you know, rubella and and chickenpox and all the other vaccines, that they would actually come in, take the children from their families, put them in foster homes and give them all those vaccines. If, you know, the parent was a naturalist and did not want their child to have those. Have you worked on that or did, did you send me that article? Or Yes. Uh, I don't remember what article because we talked about it so many times. It, it That's not something that was rare. Um, there are some jurisdictions where if the parents were not in favor of vaccinating, the foster parents were not allowed to get the child vaccinated. Um, But there are plenty of others that it's almost like a catch and release. They take them, they put them in foster care, keep them long enough and get them vaccinated, and eventually the parents get them back. So that happens. So in a hospital setting, I've seen this happen where 
the they're asked the standard question about are is are they caught up on their vaccinations have they had their shots or whatever and then the parents try to educate the um the staff about the dangers of vaccines and they just paint a great big target on themselves now and they may not say the 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 report that the reason for taking them may not say it's because they don't vaccinate or because they homeschool or because xyz um natural kinds of choices then um but they start looking closer on and going on a fishing expedition and seeing what they can what they can come up with so it's it's not a good idea to go into a hospital setting um and try to make your case for why you don't vaccinate exactly um, that's whether or not you're an that's adult not the place to do. or a child mm-hmm. you should not you know that's your right but say it if you have to and then move on but trying to educate somebody else about why you feel the way you do when you're in a hospital setting that you know their that their belief system is different in many cases, mm-hmm. it, keep your mouth shut. You're right, absolutely right. right. That's the place. That's I mean, you're entitled to it. your opinion, and everybody has their First mm-hmm. Amendment oh, right. Absolutely. But but you need to use common sense along with that. Yeah. So. Yep. Because they have, I mean, they have so much power there. When you're in a hospital with your child or in an emergency room. They have a lot of power. It's a lot better to say as little as possible um, right. rather than speaking a lot. Um, I wanted to go, you said something about uh, that earlier, and I, and I thought it was the American Academy of Pediatrics. They've identified a number of risk factors that they associate with abuse. So if the, any of these things that I'm fixing to read off to you, um, if these are the case, they will they alert the pediatrician to look at the parent more closely. Maternal smoking, more than two siblings, low infant birth weight, born to an unmarried mother, disability, or poverty. The American Academy of Pediatrics stated it's a policy statement that these things are connected to abuse and they need to look more carefully more closely at the parents. Wow. Uh, yes. So if a mother if you smoke or you've got more than two children or you're an, uh, you're unwed and low infant birth weight. You had a premature baby. Oh. Wow. Yeah. Or if you've got a disability, people with disabilities are more likely to have their children taken. Um, there was a or if, you're, or if you um, don't have money, if, if you don't have, if you don't you have know, money, if your power turned off. Okay, there's this doctor, and I'm, it's actually right here in this article, Dr. Cindy Christian. I remember that name. She said in in one of her policy things papers that children or that that Children who are um, disabled, the children themselves, if they have a disability, they are more likely to be abused by their parents. That's what, that was the first thing that I, first case that I really went searching for. Where did she get this? What is this based on? Where's the studies I want to see? 
and that's where I found out she was quoting herself, and there was not actually a study. She made it up. She was quoting herself and some other thing, and the actual data shows that children who with disabilities are less likely to be abused. Not mm-hmm. the, what the American Academy of Pediatrics believes. Wow. It's I talked to somebody um, yes, the day before yesterday, and I thought she was going to call in. But And for anybody, if you are on, let me throw this out there, if you're on the Internet listening and you want to make a comment, use your phone and call 917-388-4520 and select 1. And that will put you in the queue. But she was talking, and her child had been diagnosed as mentally retarded, although it was closer to, like, you know, Down syndrome child. And she eventually lost her just October Mm -hmm. of 2021. And her story was was very, very sad, um, you know, when the daughter had gone into the hospital. But she loved Mm -hmm. this young girl i mean she was 21 but she was more like a child because of her you know condition and she was more of a child but she loved her everything about her so to say that because a child has a disability that a parent is more likely to abuse them is a horrible thing to say and and as you're saying statistics do not support that right you know Normally, children that have disabilities, you would be more patient and more loving and more compassionate because, they're, to begin with, they're more childlike, and a lot of times they stay childlike. But how could you be cruel to anybody but to a child that's disabled is beyond my comprehension. So I, I think making a statement like that. A child who is disabled, however, is worth more money to the system. So there are bonuses. A child who is disabled is worth more money to the system because they get all kinds of money for treating them for medical stuff and um, the ASPA bonus for um, for the for the adoption bonus. If a child has special needs, then that goes way up. A foster, just a payment for the foster parent. Then um, the foster parents don't get nearly the money that that is allocated to the system for a child. So, but all of those figures go way, way up if it is if the child is a special needs child. So there's lots more money involved for multiple children, or and then they get lost in the system. Mm-hmm. I mean, I don't they understand do how, children. right, but how do you, you know, say that you're going to, oh, we're going to make sure that nobody's abusing their children, and if they're abusing their children, we're going to take them away because we're the good guys. We're going to give it to a family, in the case of California, uh, that you were talking about earlier about the list, I mean, they're sex offenders, we're going to give it to those, mm-hmm. but then we wash our hands, you know, they get and I have no idea how much a foster parent gets, but they get X amount of dollars. We make that much, just like the guardianship situations. And then we're going to lose mm-hmm. track of them because we really don't care about a child being abused because this is nothing more than a business. 
Right. Right. And that's what it is, when, because if, if there's no oversight, this is nothing more than a money-making business for them. Exactly. Exactly. So there was a case, um, and I started reading it. I hadn't finished reading it about Zachary that had the um, mm-hmm. Ehlers-Danlos syndrome and that was taken away on a vacation. So you're not even at your regular hospital and your child gets sick and all of a sudden you're accused abusing the child and lose the child in another state. Mm-hmm. Now, I will say that since that time, that child has been returned home. He is with his family. and and so. But his mother was put, to... but his mom was put in a psych ward. Is she back home now? Oh, she's yeah. She's doing well. She's doing okay, well. Okay, good. They they went after her nine ways to Sunday. Um, yeah. One of the um, primary people involved with the um, the child abuse pediatrician um, was involved in that case. They had gone to Seattle, Washington. Oh, let's see, mitochondrial disease. He had a mitochondrial. And the mother said that at, when they were in the hospital, because he had something that he got sick or was running fever, something like that, um, while they were on that trip, and so they took him in. But the minute she mentioned mitochondrial um, disease, that's when everything shifted at the hospital. So I think there may have been a medical study. Um, and I've heard this before. Somebody, if there's a mitochondrial, there are there are doctors who specialize in that and deal with that. But um, your mainstream um, children's hospitals are really not dealing with that, and they the uh, parents are automatically suspect once that word is used. So just another FYI. I don't know all the reasons, but I just know that it happened. Um, right. So. So this doctor was, she literally wrote the book on medical child abuse. Um, Dr. Carol Jenny is her name. And she wrote a book called Medical Child Abuse Beyond Munchausen by Proxy. And what they did is they, they, she advocated for not calling it Munchausen syndrome by proxy because then you, it, it's more, it's easier to just say that it's uh, medical child abuse and somehow it makes it easier to pin that on the parent. So um, she's very influential, and she does training, and her husband um, is a psychiatrist, and they work together on this stuff. And, and they're, they're very influential across the United States. Yeah, it says she, she um, graduated from Yale, Mm-hmm. And I'm reading yeah, what I. Yeah. But they wouldn't listen because they had other doctors that told them, you know, that he was allergic to the medication, I think. And they wanted, yes. they kept, they pulled him from his parents for a long time. Mm-hmm. They did. And he got very sick, and they would not treat him for what he had because they didn't believe the parents when they said that. Mm-hmm. And that's very, very common. That is 
very common. That that the very first medical kidnapping story that I ever heard of, the Justina Pelletier case. That was the case. Their regular doc, she had mitochondrial disorder, but they sent her to Boston Children's Hospital because um, she had gotten the flu or something, and they needed to take her in. And her doctor said, take her to the closest one to where you are. And at that moment, it was Boston Children's Hospital, not their hospital. And later, they we found out that, um, okay, so they said that at that hospital, they said, no, she doesn't have mitochondrial disorder. She has a, um, is it what they call it now, um, somatoform disorder. And so come to find out that the doctor who picked the parents out and accused them of Munchausen syndrome by proxy was actually doing a study on somatoform disorder. And needed another subject. Agreeing, <clears throat> two different diagnoses. Well, um, and that happens, and that's what happened to the um, in this case that you're talking about. Um, so the and the parents get caught in the middle, and you know maybe maybe the first doctor was wrong in some of these cases, but the, how is the parent? Why is that the parent's responsibility? How are they supposed to know? They go to one doctor, and then they go to another doctor, and they've got disagreeing um, diagnoses. And so instead of working working it out, you take the child away and demonize the parent. But that's what happens. And, and don't take care of the child's needs in the process. They don't, right. Yeah. And, and emotionally, they, they right, and emotionally mm-hmm. you have completely ripped that child from his family and – yeah. devastated and and you don't know what that's going to do you know later on to somebody when they've been emotionally detached like that right it, it's a trauma and it's devastating the statistics I, I don't have them for me but i know that um that children in foster care have um higher um cases of post-traumatic stress than our our soldiers in Iraq and Afghanistan. Well, and I would imagine the suicide rate would be higher too. And you know, you know if they survive, if they're not, if they're not put into you know uh, sex slavery or um, you know where they're being abused by the the foster parent. Yeah. Actually, I do remember seeing yeah, suicide's higher, higher rate of teen pregnancy, higher rate of uh, in foster children, higher rate of um, going into prison later. They call it they call that the mm-hmm. foster care to prison pipeline. And so all of the metrics that you measure whether somebody is stable or um, in good health um, or, or whatever, it's all worse in foster care. So obviously they're not doing a very good job. They're, they're not helping the children. We're spending billions and billions of dollars. Some state budgets are, they're a third, a, it, it, I think it's an average of a third of the state's budget is having to do with child, the, this system. And um, one of the Dakotas, it's like 49% of their state budget is from taking children. And so it's a massive um, investment from taxpayers with a very poor return. Um, we're not helping them. Right. 
And that's, you know, you said at the beginning of the program, that doesn't mean that all foster care parents, or if there are foster care parents listening, it doesn't mean all foster care parents, parents oh. are bad. I mean, I have a, a neighbor right. and a friend who has, you know, fostered lots of children, and she's adopted several of them. You know, she's gone ahead with the adoption, and they're very well-mannered, very well-adjusted, you know, people. And they've grown up, and they're, you know, they Christmas time she has a huge house full of kids because she has all these, you know, her own children and all these adopted children, and she has a special needs child. But she's a wonderful person and has provided a wonderful home for them. But if the system is taking them from good supportive homes, mm-hmm. kidnapping them, which, you know, let's use that term mm-hmm. because that's what it is. If you're taking them away from their parents and they did not mm-hmm. abuse that child and people are going to court and spending enormous amounts of money trying to get their children back and it takes mm-hmm. years and years, you know, some of the cases that you had written about that it was several years before the parent was able to get the child back, and by that time, they're broke. Right. And many of them don't get them back. They're, they never get them back. And completely innocent parents, non-abusive parents, that never get their children back. And so that that happens, too. So every time I hear somebody say, oh, well, this foster child or this adoptive child needed to be taken because X, Y, Z, I question the narrative because many times what the narrative that that foster parent or adoptive parent was told about the, how what happened to that child is not really truly the case. So they they may have been lied, and that happened. And then there's also cases where foster children take in children that have a horrible background of all kinds of abuse and sexual abuse and all that, and they bring in this child among their own children, and they not they are not made aware of what really happened. And then that that child has so much anger built up, and then they end up abusing their own their kid, or or causing right. harm, and they didn't have any idea that 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 was a possibility. So that's another yet another part of that. So which it's crazy. Yeah. So how do you protect However, your child from being one of those statistics? Any suggestions? Attention to what to to what we've said and and be aware of when you're going into a medical situation that that could be a possibility. Um, many many times I hear parents say, "Well, if the social worker comes to their door, um, that well they just let them in and they just you know talk to them and told them whatever because they have nothing to hide." Well, people who have nothing to hide end up getting set up because they don't realize it's a it's a fishing expedition. The people who are the real criminals who know how to work the system know they don't say anything, don't let them in. And, you have a lawyer present and all that. The bad guys know how to work the system. Good, innocent parents have no clue, and they're just taken to the cleaners. So, so be aware. Suggest that system. they not. Would you suggest that they not open their doors and let CPS in without consulting? Um, you know, because I always, I would feel like 
that, you know, then I was admitting some kind of guilt. I'd probably be like those people that said, I got nothing to hide. Come on in. Um, yeah, and, and you, that don't do it. Don't do it. I, everybody that I've seen talking about how to do this says don't, don't do that. Um, contact a lawyer. Um, if you homeschool, you need to be part of the homeschool legal defense or the, the other one, um, heritage um, something. And I actually like that one a little bit better. Um, but um, sometimes they, they're like, you, you could hold up a child and, uh, to the window and say, if they, get, they say, I've got to see the child, I've got to see the child, then hold them up to a window. You know, take their shirt off or whatever. Show them there's no... There's no bruising. There's no, nothing like this going on. Um, well, because it could so be could at school that. that a school teacher, you know, or a neighbor, it's almost like the, um, what is it, the red flag law that they're trying to enact with, you know, your neighbors. If somebody in the neighborhood has a gun and you want to get even with your neighbor because you don't like them or something. Mm-hmm. So it's almost like that because you as a as a school teacher or as a neighbor could turn your neighbor in and say that they're abusing their child when it's just cuz you're mad because they stepped across your property or your dog their your dog came over and you know pooped on their lawn or something. But you just never know and if somebody does just show up at your door you need to be careful what you're going to say. And if you are abusing yeah. your child then stop it, and you shouldn't have right. your child if you are abusing your child. Get some help. So, Put them with their relatives or something. Yeah. Um, right. Take a break. Yeah. Take and, time and they, away if that's what and, you need. Mhm. Right. Right. Yeah. Child abuse is not okay. So, no. in a school situation, educate your children that they have a right to to um, have a parent present when they're questioned. Um, like, like we know we have the right to lawyer up. Kids have a right to parent up. But if they don't know, they're not going to ask. When people start asking them questions or they're brought into a counselor, they don't have to answer the question. And children need to be educated there, too, that they don't have to. Because um, the first six weeks of school tend to be the time when the most children are taken out of the whole school year. Out of the whole year, it's during the first six weeks of school. That does happen there. Well, and I think um, often... You know, if a child says, you know, if they're mad at their parent because their parent didn't let them have dessert last night or, or you know, go out, they made them do their homework or whatever, then, you know, sometimes the children can make up stories and say something not realizing that that means that you might be pulled out of that home. And, you know, and, and mm-hmm. I, you know, that, you know, you just don't discipline a child and you don't spank a child. I mean, that's kind of... My son's grown, so I don't have that. But the child may not realize in what you're saying what could be the result from that. And they may think they're just angry at you and they want to punish you. Mm -hmm. But in reality, they could be pulled out of the home and where will they go? What would their life be like then? Yep. Yeah, we've had that where teenagers got mad because mom rounded them from their cell phone, took their cell phone away. And then they, or, or there was one where a uh, a child uh, wanted to go to a party with her friend, like she was 12, I think, and wanted to go to a party with a friend, and her dad said no. So her friend said, hey, I know how you can go to the party. You, you can um, go, let's go to the council and tell them that your dad beats you. 
and then you'll you'll come stay with me and you can go to the party. Well, she didn't get to go to the party, but she never went home again. Never went home again. So Yeah. Yeah. And how'd that work out for her? Right, very horribly. You know, I know we're getting close to the end of the show, right? Yes. It's eight thirty okay. So it's a hard topic and it um can be very discouraging. But I don't want to leave people without hope. Um, I've, I've written some, some declarations um, last year that I, I would really, I would, I would like to read if that's okay with you. Absolutely. Um, Absolutely. Okay. All right. Lord Jesus, you said that part of your mission was to set the captives free. You said it's not four months and then the harvest. It's now. Um, we say and declare in the name of Jesus that these demonic forces are defeated and their reign of terror has come to an end. Um, thank you, God, that you are setting the captives free. The very reason that a part of the very reason that Jesus came to this planet 2,000 years ago, Jesus is unlocking cages and breaking the chains. Thank you that every trafficker is being exposed and removed so that agencies are being dismantled. Corruption is being removed in CPS, in courts, the legislators, the legislature, the executive branch, and the alphabet agencies. Thank you, Lord, that law enforcement is being cleansed and purified to go after the real abusers. Lord, we thank you that children are being rescued and restored to loving families, and we thank you so much that Child Protective Services, as it is now, is being demolished. We thank you, Lord, that every judge, attorney, legislator, social worker, doctor, experimenter, and predator who traffics and enslaves children and families is being brought low in the name of Jesus. They are being removed from their places of authority, and they are being replaced with godly authority. We thank you, and we declare that righteousness is being restored in seats of authority in America, and that justice is being restored in our courts and in our nation. We thank you, Lord, for families and children and elderly um, that are being restored in the mighty name of Yeshua. We declare and release freedom. Lord, we thank you that you are unlocking the freedom of who these children are called to be and of each parent and every family member. We're, uh, we call them into the destiny that you have called them to. We thank you, Lord, for that destiny. We thank you for, for um, uh, that you are restoring what has been stolen from the families. And in the name of Jesus, we call each, each of these people that are going through this to be um, who you're called to be and to be set free in the name of Jesus. Lord, we release chain breaker angels to break every chain and set the captives free. Lord, redeem by your spirit what the enemy meant for evil. Lord, we say flip the script and turn it to good for the saving of many lives. Amen. Amen. That was very good. And leaving on a positive note, um, protect your children, protect your elderly, protect yourself. And knowledge is always power. Do your own research. And thank you so much, Terry, for coming on tonight and sharing information with us that will prove to help, possibly help somebody so that they're not caught in this horrible situation. And we, Kaz is on Friday night, and she will be talking more about children kidnapping, and we will see you back in two weeks with Carol Herman on Foundation Aiding the Elderly. Thank you, Terry. Good night. And good night, Marty, up in heaven looking down on us. 
and cheering us on.